Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. everyone, it's VLGA Connect Governance Update Time, brought to you as always by Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. We're coming to you on a Sunday this week, and I've got to tell you, I call it like it is, it's all Steve Cooper's fault. It was my fault, Chris. Thank you. Oh, good morning. Um, no, we... In the interest of disclosure, we did try to do this on Friday morning, and I was in Darwin, and the uh, connectivity and sound quality was so appallingly poor, we just decided not to. We could not inflict that upon our loyal uh, audience, let alone, you know, give Hunt and Hunt, put Hunt and Hunt lawyer's name on something that would have just looked and sounded so terrible, Steve. It would have. Worse than usual. Anyway. So uh, how was your trip? It was terrific, Chris. Um, Hadn't been to the NT before, and uh, I think I might go back again. Oh, very nice. And and were the flights kind to you, Steve? The flights were excellent. So all of those horror stories didn't affect me. But I know on uh, uh, last Friday week, well, last Thursday week when we were flying up, there were numerous people hanging around the airport at Tullamarine for longer than they intended. I got to spend about 12 hours in Tullamarine Airport last Sunday. Oh, really? <laughs> I did. So I had a I had a lightning trip to Toowoomba and back for a family event and uh, delayed and cancelled well cancelled flights, delayed flights ended up flying into a different uh, destination than originally planned. Oh uh, no! Long, long story short, we got there eventually and all was all was right with the world. Oh good. What, what, what do they say in that movie, Chris? It'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah, very true. Yes. Uh, what movie was that, Steve? That would be The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, I think, Chris. Yeah, what a wonderful movie. I thought the sequel probably didn't quite live up. No, to it did what sequels often do. Yeah. Anyway, um, believe it or not, we're, we're here to talk about local government news. Did you know that? No, I'd forgotten that part. <laughs> And we've, we've been getting quite a bit of feedback from uh, people, I'll just say people, uh, about our call for tell us about those under the radar behaviours that don't quite meet the test of misconduct, but you'd like them to. And we're getting some stuff that we probably can't use, I reckon, Steve. Uh, I would say not, Chris. And there is... Um... Look, the interesting thing is, though, um, a lot of what we're getting could have happened at multiple councils, so we're not necessarily um, picking a particular location or identifying a particular location, but we'll need to do a little bit of work to make sure that we talk about the themes that are raised rather than the particular issues and um, de-identify, because we did say right at the start that um, do no harm is really um, critical. But also, Chris, if anyone has any... um, any tales they'd like to let us know about um, for this purpose. As you say, the under the radar behaviour, that would be good. Um, Because we're talking about under the radar, you know, the ethical, political versus policy kind of stuff, not, um, you know, integrity kind of issues, which are just wrong. Yeah. Uh, I suspect there's a little bit more effort and work involved in this than you envisaged when you first came up with this brilliant idea. I love the... 
use of the word you, Chris. I, you didn't say for us. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, no, I'm putting it. I'm putting it all on you. Thank you. <laughs> now, there's been a bit of uh, news this week that we'd like to unpack. Some pretty exciting news, I thought, out of Barwon Water of all places, which has uh, teed up uh, a deal with four councils: Greater Geelong, Queenscliff, Surf Coast, and Golden Plains to take, I think it's 40,000 tonnes of organic material from their curbside collections and turn that into agricultural byproducts as well as renewable energy. This is a massive deal and a big step forward, as they say, for the circular economy, Steve. I think it's terrific, Chris. And the fact that um, all the water authorities have to meet a range of sort of, uh, I guess, social objectives as well as just delivering water. Obviously, it meets a need for bar and water, but uh, for those councils to collaborate with a, an authority in that project is just terrific and bodes well for the future. We often talk about, you know, councils working together and wanting to see more of this collaboration, etc. We don't often think about and talk about what other stakeholders might be part of that equation. I think he is a perfect, perfect example. I think you're right, Chris. And spending some time, you know, early in the term of a council, or if you haven't done it already, any time mapping out your key stakeholders and the opportunities and risks associated is a useful piece of work for uh, leaders in an organisation. Yep. So well done to those councils and to Barwon Water on a terrific initiative, and we'll watch that one with interest. This coming week, the Future Melbourne Committee, a committee of City of Melbourne, Steve, is uh, receiving an options paper with regard to the 26th of January and Australia Day. It's getting quite a bit of attention. One of the options on the table is that the council might choose to advocate to the federal government to actually change the date of Australia Day. Interesting, Chris. Um, fair to say that the former federal government made it very clear that it wouldn't sort of brook that behaviour from councils, um, you know, under pain of uh, removing the right to conduct citizenship ceremonies. So uh, interesting that, I and I suspect Melbourne won't be the only council that's a bit more active in that front. But you did prompt me, though, Chris, to... Um, pull up a copy of the Victorian Aboriginal and Local Government Strategy. And uh, on page, sorry, let me just move you down here. On page 12, there's a little diagram of responsibilities, Chris, and it talks about the responsibility for local government around uh, local government, strategic planning, education and leadership. Also respect and continuous engagement. So um, within the form of that strategy, uh, that sort of conversation about January 26 is uh, certainly in place. So there's a lot more to this uh, this paper that the City of Melbourne is going to be considering and certainly encourage people to have a look at that. But uh, that's one of the headlines. Uh, another is that they, they will continue to issue permits for events that the state government and other organisations are having on that day. They're not sort of saying we refuse to support others, but very much recognising the perspectives of First Nations people in all of this and taking perhaps a longer term view of uh, finding a, a resolution to the issue that's acceptable to all. Yeah, no, good on them. At Knox City Council, uh, they've been in the news with uh, an announcement that they're considering their future as a kindergarten services provider. They're in this space in a pretty big way compared to a lot of councils, Steve, and with the reforms that are coming to uh, to the kindergarten environment, uh, they're sort of sending up a flag to say we might not be able to financially meet these uh, commitments given all of the other uh, commitments and call on our resources. Again, recurring theme, Chris, around um, 
some of those human type services uh, and you're going to talk at either end of the sort of age spectrum shortly, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, interesting for me that Knox was a council. If you look at those areas around um, sort of Roville, Baronia, um, Bayswater, um, that really heavily settled through the 1970s and 1980s. And Knox has always had a strong reputation for the quality of its kindergartens and its sporting facilities. Um, but in a rate capping environment, um, not surprising that Knox would, you know, need to give this consideration. Yeah, not dissimilar as you've uh, just predicted to uh, the the thought process that councils are going through with regard to aged care service provision. We've talked a bit about some councils that have already exited that space. Macedon Rangers this week has announced that they will be exiting that space next year. Uh, the ABC's reported that Greater Bendigo is considering its position, probably not uh, ready yet to make a call. That's likely to be next year. So this is an issue that is not going away. No, and I would have presumed, Chris, that every council that's in this space that, you know, is considering or does exit does so with a heavy heart because um, councils would much prefer um, to stay involved that the involvement of councils um, in the provision of, of aged services of all sorts really serves as, a, um, I guess, a benchmark, if you like, ensures that when pro private providers come in, there's a there's an impetus for a better standard, you know, quality standard. And so for councils to exit, um, really we're throwing it out to the market and um, apparently, Chris, markets fail sometimes. Sometimes they do, you're right. Mm. Uh, absolutely. And of course, not everyone's happy with these decisions that are being made. Uh, the unions, for example, uh, are being quite vocal about councils being premature and getting out of those spaces. I mean, each council needs to make its own decision about its own circumstances, doesn't it? Yeah, and we need to be careful about um, sort of pejorative arguments around the cost of um, council wages and salaries more um, more across the board, Chris, because as we know that councils are in the business of providing people services, so as a consequence, um, it's not unusual that the cost of council people is fairly significant. Um, yeah. um, proportion of the rate revenue goes on that. True. Mm. The federal government had its uh, its much-talked-about Jobs and Skills Summit at the end of last week, Steve, and it was great to see local government getting quite a bit of attention and recognition for its role as an employer and its potential role in uh, solving some of these skills shortages problems uh, in the future. The sector was represented at the summit by Linda Scott, who's the president of the Australian Local Government Association. And in the wrap-up comments, I noticed that uh, Treasurer Jim Chalmers made, he particularly singled out the role of local government, which was nice to see. Is it fair to say, Chris, we're back? Yeah, we are. I think. I think we're back uh, in this new environment. Well, the, the signs are good. Let's put it that way, Steve. Well, it was, um, I, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, very respectful and important. Um, and, you know, congratulations and well done to Alga and Linda Scott and Council Linda Scott for being, for being the face of local government at that event. And, of course, what we're referring to is the fact that the, uh, the National Cabinet during COVID, which sort of superseded COAG, um, didn't see local government representation, which was a pity. Yes, absolutely. Mm. We've talked about that, of course, uh, before. Now, Steve, uh, Council's been in the news around a dangerous dog issue this week. What's happened there? Um, yeah, so, in fact, uh, props to Hunt and Hunt who have uh, done a, a bulletin on this particular topic, Chris. The thing that surprised me about this is 
you know when you you know about those sort of quite dangerous dogs that have got big studs stud collars yes. and they seem to have boxers names like Tyson. Yes. Um, yes. This dog's called Poppy. <laughs> Poppy. Okay. Um, okay. Poppy and. <laughs> Only in the interest of alliteration, I say Poppy purportedly <laughs> uh, bit some uh, bit um, two people. Oh, and, yeah. mm. um, I think well done to the uh, council at Ararat for taking the action to make a declaration of Poppy as a dangerous dog. Because who would have thought, Chris? That's why the legislation exists. Yes. Yeah. And Poppy's owner went off to VCAT and said that even though the skin was broken, it wasn't you know, really, they, they weren't that major kind of issues and mm. perhaps that the council had been heavy-handed, which, you know, who would have thought that when councils take enforcement action that the person who the enforcement action is taken against will say they were being heavy-handed. That's yeah. Yeah. kind of part of the dynamic. Yeah, true, yeah. to be expected. Anyway, um, VCAT upheld the decision of the council. And there's a really... Um, so I think that's uh, terrific because, you know, as we know and we've talked about previously, Chris... There is a resource associated with pursuing a matter at court. And again, sometimes some people will say that's outrageous that the council spent, you know, thousands of dollars on a particular matter. But it is important that council pursue those, you know, matters of principle in the interest of public safety, because if they don't, uh, we have greater issues. But the interesting thing I found on the second last paragraph that sort of talked about the fact that VCAT will take into consideration whether the dog poses a greater risk to people and animals compared with other dogs and what measures sufficiently protect the community. So if we've got a dog with a history of biting, guess what? Yep. That's sort of where we might end up. Makes sense. All right, good one. Um, thanks, Steve. Now, um, another thing that's been in the news involving councils this week is a bit of a serve from Quit Victoria, where the, the head of that organisation has suggested that councils could be doing more to, uh, to help promote the dangers of secondhand smoke. And I think uh, uh, Ballarat was particularly singled out for attention with regard to signage. And the message is really that councils need to, to do more to promote that in those locations where you can't smoke, you also can't vape, Steve. Not sure what to think of that. And I don't want to be, um, what's the word, Chris? I don't want to be too partisan. I, don't, I think Quick probably makes some really good points. And I know I've seen... Uh, I've seen quite a bit of social media activity from um, Dr. Sandro DeMaio at VicHealth really talking to the risks associated with vaping. It is a live issue. Um, let's be clear too, though, that um, changing local laws does take a bit of time mm. and councils need to be well-founded. So, um, yes, it's a shot across the bow. I would have presumed that councils will take notice of it and in the areas uh, where they have... Um, a bit of influence or leverage. Um, I think you'll see more of that in future, you know, not only local laws, but perhaps occupancy agreements and so on. Very sensible and balanced response to that one, Steve. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, what's the point, Chris? I mean, we can get all, you know, that's right. about exactly. it, but really, yeah, uh, no, people shouldn't vape when there's other people around, you know? No, like, no yeah, true. Actually, maybe, uh, maybe we could just start by encouraging um proprietors of organisations to ask people to not do that inside. Thank you. And see how yeah. it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds reasonable. Uh, okay, some other news items quickly. Uh, the by-election in Northern Grampians has been set. Uh, election day is the 5th of November. This, of course, sadly has become necessary due to the passing recently of Tony Driscoll, who was the mayor of Northern mm. Grampians. 
yeah, we'll um, we'll watch this space, and um, you know, hopefully there'll be a, a a good turnout because I would have presumed that previously Tony was such a influential and well loved local councillor that people would tend to take the view, why would I stand? We've got Tony, yeah. so yeah, yeah it'll be point. interesting to see who pops up. It will. Uh, in New South Wales, there's a bit of excitement because the rate peg is being reviewed. The uh, the minister is supporting this uh, process to have a look at the peg, which resulted in a 0.7% of 1%. Um, let me try that again. A 0.7% increase uh, for this financial year against uh, inflation, which they're tipping to hit nearly 8% by the end of the year. So understandably, councils are pretty upset about and that so, and peg. Costs. Yeah. And yeah. uh, that whole process is going to be reviewed. Well, that would be a good start, Chris. Um, um, I would hope they don't stop there because um, it's not only the it, the peg, but the entire tax mix needs a review. But anyway, That's let's true. take what we can get. I doubt that this particular process will solve that one, but you never no. know. The uh, the other one out of New South Wales that I thought you might find of interest is they've, uh, they've finalised new standard contracts for general managers, stroke CEOs of New South Wales councils. This is reacting to recommendations that came out of an ICAC investigation of the former Canterbury City Council with two particular things of note, Steve, that are in these new contracts and the accompanying guidelines. One is around um, performance indicators for GMs and CEOs. There's a few more being called CEOs in New South Wales, I've noted, um, around an, an obligation to promote an ethical culture. I'll get your comment on that in a second. And the other one is around uh, enshrining the importance of good working relationships between the council and the general manager in those um, contracts, performance indicators, uh, etc. Two very interesting things to be putting in writing, I'd say. The devil's in the detail, isn't it, Chris? Because either of those we would look at and say, well, isn't that terrific? And of course, the CEO or the GM should do that. But I would presume that there are... Um, very many, if not all, of the CEOs and GMs in Victoria who would say it's one thing to promote an ethical culture, it's another thing when um, someone brings their personal ethics into the organisation and the CEO pushes back. Um, you know, what will really support that is where that is not career limiting for the CEO. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, similarly thing about the relations with the council. Sometimes a good relation with the council means... Um, that the CEO or GM needs to be assertive and promote an adult-to-adult -adult communication uh, rather than, you know, when, you know, in an environment where there might be power games going on, Chris. So sounds terrific. Um, more, you know, look to see the implementation. Okay. And a couple of awards to, uh, to talk you're not about. Gonna, you're not going to dig any on that? I couldn't argue with that. No, no that's, that's oh, perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Tick, tick from me. <laughs> I want to say congratulations to the city of Wanneroo from Western Australia, who's won the local government professionals' national management challenge. Well, it's actually international because it's Australia and New Zealand. That was held in Adelaide last week. So well done to the city of Wanneroo. Chris, I'm sure you meant to say the prestigious. Oh, I did. Yes. It goes without saying, Steve. Oh, well, obviously, in your case, it did. <laughs> and uh, Greater Geelong has picked up the International Smart City of the Year Award. They've actually shared it, but I think uh, uh, it's still pretty spectacular. They've shared it with Barcelona in Spain. Barcelona. 
Yeah, at the uh, the World Smart City uh, Expo or something of a similar description, which has just happened in Korea. So well done to Greater Geelong on the world stage there. I'm quite interested in that, Chris. If only there was someone who could do an interview with someone at the city of Greater Geelong so we could all understand um, in more detail what the city of Greater Geelong have done to win such a prestigious award. That's a great idea. Uh, why didn't I think of that? Oh, hang on. I think I already did think of that. Really? Yeah, we're trying to line something up for the roundup. Absolutely. That would be um, terrific because I don't know, Chris, about you, but I sort of see smart cities and think that there is a whole lot of technology out there we could use better and, you know, get better use of resources and people. But actually when, you know, when organisations have put it into place, I think that would be something that would be good to learn from. I think so too. Yes. Very good. All right. Anything else from you this week, Steve? Chris, I'm absolutely done. That's pretty good for a Sunday morning, I reckon. Pretty good effort, considering what time did you get off the plane? Three o'clock this morning or something? No, no, it was actually quite civilised, Chris. We got off at eight o'clock last night. So, okay. All right. Yeah. I was just trying to give you an excuse. <laughs> no, I have none. No, okay. No. All right. Thank you, Steve. Uh, great to talk as always and look forward to catching up, uh, hopefully at the regular time of uh, Friday next week with thanks to Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. You have a great week. Thank you. I'll see you Friday this week, Chris. Cheers. And thank you for watching and listening to VLGA Connect. We'll see you with more very soon. Bye for now.